What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 119. I am one of your hosts, George Tarrant, alongside the man, the myth, the mystic talent, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? You bad. Mystic talent's a new one. I don't think I, I don't know if I uh, necessarily endorse mysticism. Um, considered, well, uh, you work in mysterious ways, and it is in some con- countries considered mystical. A, 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 a listener did suggest to me last week that we should start making merch with your uh, suggestion from last week that we have a show that even God can't stop. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> I'm making a note of it. Uh, we, that is copyright. You can't steal it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I'm going to apologize in advance to anybody who is listening or watching. Uh, I have moved house this week. Folks who are paying attention or watching with streams, you'll notice this is a very different setting to yes. the um, the previous uh, uh, fried electric fried ham sandwich studios. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm in a, a new apartment in a new part of town, and it's a lot noisier here than my old place in a quiet suburban street. So I didn't get a lot. I plus I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Plus I've been moving heavy shit for uh, the last uh, week or so, trying to save myself money with uh, removal of surrender, a good scam, I tell you what, that they, they get paid Ooh. very nicely. So if, I'm, uh, if I'm, I'm a little bit off my game tonight, or we have a slightly thin selection of things to talk about, I will apologise. That's okay, that's okay. I mean, it's, uh, it's quality, not quantity. And I was doing the maths. This week, our chain movie, Bullet, is the 53rd chain movie that we have done. 53. That's that's not bad. Pretty good. I mean, I, I will pay that some of the early chains were a little tenuous. Um, but well, it didn't take long. It. Yeah, it didn't take long for us to get more particular. I mean, like, it was really um, Streets of Fire, Philadelphia Experiment, Final Countdown, and then we started really getting into the true chains beyond just themes, where we went from Top Gun to Legend and so on, all the way through some some very interesting movies there. Yeah, and I like the fact that it started with something as obscure as uh, Streets of Fire. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Not exactly. So what starts you on this journey, Streets of Fire? <laughs> yeah, the movie about the musical action movie i really remember much about it other than it was super weird yeah with with a with a bizarre um rendition uh or portrayal from willem dafoe a young willem dafoe which is just yeah. bizarre everything about that film is bizarre it's true the fact that like rick moranis in it and a serious role it's just it's all yeah. like, it's if you haven't seen it you go you can go back and watch our review of it on uh I'm sure mm-hmm. it's uh, archived on the YouTube somewhere potentially, or you can download the podcast. It's uh, yep. it was somewhere to start, and uh, I, I think uh, if I, I I don't think I ever feel like I need to see it again. <laughs> that is that is absolutely the truth. It's definitely one of those things that's like, okay, yeah, I've done that. Never going to talk about it again. Never going to. Never gonna do it again. That's it. Uh, I don't need to do that to myself. Uh, my yeah. hard um, yeah. So <laughs> here we are back in that lockdown 5.0. Lockdown 5.0. Um, mm-hmm. I moved house 
And we have a slightly slimmer su- uh, um, selection this week from me, but uh, mm-hmm. an acknowledgement of that and an acknowledgement of the fact that at one point in time I did make George try VB on the show. Um, I have decided <laughs> to start trying. I, I have a – this is literally a brand-new supermarket, like a block from my apartment building. Okay. Um, and uh, they sell a lot of weird stuff that I've never seen before. Um, so I'm going to debut a new segment, and I'm going to try stuff – from the supermarket that I've never heard of. That's how it's okay. <laughs> what what so, is this first one? This one is mango milk. Oh, I've tried that. It's yummy. It could be. It could. I don't know. I think we did a similar segment when I was in um uh, maybe when I was in Japan. I just started trying random shit from the uh, 7-Eleven <laughs> cans. I didn't know what it was. Um, yeah. But I'll try and remember to get some for next week as well. This is a whole bunch of weird shit they've got down there. <laughs> The food section of Armchair Producers. Now we are, we are. It is a, it is a moving feast. Yes. <laughs> well, let's let's get on with the show, shall we? Um, so last week we talked about the classic war movie, The Great Escape, um, and in that we had one of the iconic performances of Steve McQueen's career as Cool Man, um, and we decided to follow him on. Well, I decided to another one of his highly regarded classics, Bullet. Um, this is a movie that kind of godfathered or grandfathered a lot of modern stuff like the it is the movie that is synonymous for um car chases in san francisco that iconic shot of cars coming over the crests and down the hills and um it's very much a hard-boiled kind of thing and to a point a lot of um it has been lampooned in a lot of things like um, there are scenes throughout it where they're going to nightclubs and things. And there's a lot of kind of Jethro Tull style, freestyle flute jazz playing and things like that. It's very much um, a time in a bottle kind of movie. But before we get any further with this, should we go into a little bit of the, um, yeah, what nonsense what it's about? yeah. Um, I'm just going to pull it up now. All guts, no glory. San Francisco cop becomes determined to find the underworld kingpin that killed the witness in his protection. Mm. Very basic premise, honestly. It is. Um, And that's probably, I mean, honestly, I I don't feel like this film is particularly plot driven. Um, No. It's there. It really just exists as a tool to facilitate some really cool action scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of two-thirds way through the film, I was sitting there going, what exactly is going on? You know, uh, what, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, in fairness, like I said, I, I'm, I'm fairly tired this week and, mm. you know, I maybe potentially wasn't paying as much attention as I have in other occasions. It's like, it's still really not clear to me what's going on and I don't care. Uh, but I don't really understand what's going on. I'm just having a good time with it. Yeah, it's it's a movie where story really doesn't matter. And even the ending, it's kind of nebulous as to what happens next. It doesn't really tie everything off in a neat bow, um, especially the um, uh, the climax of the movie in the airport. And it's like, okay, so the guy they've been trying to track down and take alive so that he can go on the witness stand... 
they killed him. So doesn't that make everything and all of the um, like back and forth between um, Bullet and um, all of his superiors kind of null and void? It's like, not really a little bit. Don't 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 worry about that. Yeah, you know, I don't really care about that because it's just been an interesting, twisting, turning kind of character action driven piece. Almost, it, it's kind of to put a modern day simile on it. I guess the best descriptor could be something like John Wick, where it's like okay, the flimsiest of excuses to get this action ball rolling of. Yeah, we're given a little bit of context about, oh, he's the the boogeyman of the underworld and something has put him on this path. Beyond that, it's like we don't really care about the inciting incident. It's just we're going to follow this interesting character along who breathes in a little bit of the world around him through every scene and it just informs each scene well and you just kind of go, okay, that's cool, move on. That's cool, move on. That's interesting. It's not a common kind of movie that you get these days, I don't think. It's very unusual. It's certainly, I found myself mm. thinking all the way through it. This is so different to anything you would see made today. Mm-hmm. Um, quite aside from the fact that it has a very particular visual style mm. uh, in the sense that I was, it, it sort of made me realise, I think, that uh, how similar films look today. Every film looks like every other film. Oh, yeah. Um, they're all kind of shot, look and feel the same way. But very, very, very few directors or filmmakers out there that have a particular visual style or a or a um or, or way of, of, of a look or a feel for their film. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's it's just you could be anybody, really. I mean, you know, yeah, there's still good directors and bad directors, but from a look and feel um, perspective, it all looks and feels very much the same. I mean, just from the very, very start, the um, the chase in the uh, car park while the credits are moving into the screen from the side and up and down, and yeah, you know, it was very little, a little bit Pink Panther. I think the Pink Panther used to do stuff like that. Yeah, but, um, it but it was, and it was also very um, typical of the style of a, of a time period in the sixties, oh, you know, that kind 100%. of thing. What you might have seen on television, other places. So it was kind of a popular little thing, but. There's yeah. something the way, the way the film looks, the way it's shot. Um, there's a particular scene towards probably two-thirds of the way through where um, Steve McQueen and his partner are sorting through some evidence that they've found in, uh, in, in a murder-murder scene. Not that and scene. And they're looking through the personal effects and his cranks in there. Yeah. The film really spends a long time on this scene. Like, it really pauses there for mm-hmm. five, ten minutes, sorry. Um, yeah. And sits just sits with them going for all this stuff that they're finding in these crates and they're sort of having this conversation with each other going, oh, it's a man, blah, 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 looking at this and they're flipping through this stuff and they're looking at what's in there and they're, they're making suppositions and, and learning a little bit more. And it does move that, does move the plot along. But mm. I found myself thinking there's no way a film today would spend ten minutes on basic police work. Right, yeah. Basically, what it is it's basic police work? Mm. Um, a film just wouldn't do that today. It would just be you'd lose your audience. It's just it, not it would very be exciting, yeah, three it? second quick montage, maybe a minute, and then it would just be okay. Move on to the next thing. Pretty much, and I, I found myself really enjoying that scene because it's um, you know, what kind of reminding me of a little bit was L.A. Noir, the video game. Um, yeah, actually, except obviously maybe thirty years after that game is set. 
Um, yeah. We were only really about 10, 15. It was after the war, I think, from memory. It was the late 40s. Um, yeah. yeah. But um, you, you, you would be wandering around and looking at um, looking at evidence and, you know, uh, trying to put together a theory of a crime as the main character in that video game. Mm-hmm. And that was questionable about whether that was much fun at all in the video game. Um, but it, I wonder it, if it was, movies it like this. It a sense of realism to it, didn't it? And mm. I think that's that's it. Uh, going even if you did try and do sort of like a similar sort of scene today, it would be um, a moment that they would use to investigate the relationship between the two people. Whereas this, there's not really any back and forth, non-work related chatter. There's no comedy or anything like that. It's it's just them doing their job, and you, we are just there witnessing them do their job. Um, it's, I don't think I even knew his partner's name. I think it was was it Del Ghetto? Del Ghetto? Yeah, uh, I had looked that up. Like I was like, yeah, I barely knew who he was. He really didn't have much yeah. to do with the film. No, but it was that. It was almost like a a cold bluntness to the whole thing. Like the audio for it, it actually made me think, oh, was is this kind of what Chris Nolan was trying to do in Tenet? Because the audio levels in this are kind of fucked up. Because a lot of the dialogue, it's sort of like it's tangential to the screeching of the tires and everything else that's going on and the crashing of glass and all of that stuff. That is just loud and bombastic and the dialogue is like well, that doesn't really matter too much so i'm not gonna we're not gonna adjust the audio levels i don't know if that was purposeful or if it's just the way that it was filmed and they they don't want to go back and do like a remastering of it or anything but it did just that how the the world sound so often overpowered the dialogue it was like okay this kind of reminds me of tenet <laughs> And it's interesting, it, it, it sort of fits, though. It fits a story in this occasion in the sense it kind of fits Steve McQueen, who mm. is a action-speak, louder-than-words kind yeah. of guy. Um, it's not a, a dialogue-heavy movie. A man of few words, really. Um, mm. So, you know, unlike Tenet, where you kind of did need to understand what the hell the protagonist was saying... <laughs> Uh, do we have to understand what the hell was going on? You really don't in, mm. in, in Bullet. You can just go over a ride, and it kind of fits someone in the sense, like I said, Steve McQueen's yeah. not a particularly verbose character. He he no, just no, he's he's really talking, his, his actions, you know, tell the story of what's going on. Um, yeah. But it, it ever, I mean, the film, uh, uh, in saying that it has an unusual look, it mm. looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just those colours pop off the screen still mm-hmm. fifty years later. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's an incredibly beautiful film, and the, not just the actual the colours and look on the screen, but how it was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe some fairly early handheld camera work was done here. From mm-hmm. if I'm reading between the lines in the um, in the trivia on INDB, but they used some handheld cameras mm-hmm. um, uh, with particular reference the. Um, uh, here we go to our, our regular co-host. I'm seeing him in a while. No <laughs> Archimedes. Um, <laughs> uh, if only uh, uh, our, our regular dog-loving uh, watches were, were here to see it. Um, um, but as I said, like, the car chasing, well, we should probably talk about it because it is yeah. probably what it's most famous for. The 
quite aside from how it's choreographed, the way it's shot is incredible mm-hmm. uh, for 1968. Those, those point of view uh, shots yeah. from within the car or on the, on the bonnet of the car, or if you're an American, the hood. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it was breathtaking. Yeah, it really... It stands apart from so much of the so like car chase action sequences of the modern time where not only is the way that it's shot that kind of realistic, genuine nature, the hunnet, uh, bonnet kind of point of view, the front of the car just screaming down those very aggressive hills, going really hard around those corners. It just feels like, holy fuck, that's someone really driving that. Whereas... In, in a modern-day car chase sequence, it's it's not that technical. Like, the just literally just looking at the logistics of doing a high-speed car chase down those aggressive hills, doing those really sharp corners on streets that... Can you imagine how much time and effort it must have taken to cordon off those areas so that they were as safe as they could be? But they were still fully functioning streets in San Francisco. It's uh, it took three weeks incredible. to film a car chase, apparently. Three weeks. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a marvel. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, it, it's an interesting little um, tidbit uh, in trivia here in IMDb. At the time, mm. San Francisco was not a big filmmaking mecca, and the mayor, mm. Joseph Olioto, was very keen to promote it as such. Consequently, this movie enjoyed a freedom of movement around the city that would be hard to come by today including mm. giving up an entire hospital wing for filming, closing down multiple, multiple streets for three weeks for a car chase scene and taking over France, San Francisco International Airport at night. Yeah. Well, you think about it. I mean, how many movies uh, off the top of your head are filmed in San Francisco? There's not many that spring to mind. I could do it, but um, I, I, I also, I don't know if I flagged this last week, but I actually did a movie tour in San Francisco. It was one of those bus tours mm-hmm. like, where you take your the movie filming locations in San Francisco. So um, I can remember most of those. But, I mean, how many of those were action movies? True. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm thinking it was The Rock. Um, yeah. You've got The Rock. You've got Venom. you got The Ang Lee's Hulk, but even then, they're very kind of coordinated spots because it is just a technically difficult movie area, but it looks beautiful, and it's it's one of those cities that is iconic because of those hills. So it's nice to see somewhere that isn't the kind of vanilla nature of L.A. or the sprawling metropolis of New York being shown uh, on the screen. You, have you been to San Francisco? I have, yes. It's um I was just there a couple of years ago, just one of my last mm. overseas trips before, you know, the um unknown virus of unspecified origin shut everything down. Um <laughs> it, it is actually it, it, San Francisco is a real character in this film, I think. Mm. Um I was sort of thinking to myself watching it that LA very rarely is these days. It can be. Mm. It has been. If you look at a film mm. like um Heat. Uh, heat, or what was the one with Guy Pearce and Russell Crowe? Um, um, oh, uh, LA Confidential. LA Confidential. Obviously, it's in the title. Uh, mm-hmm. Or even uh, Beverly Hills Cop, you know, LA's kind yeah. of character in that. Yeah. Or right. Hollywood Land, if you want to go really obscure. Um, there are films out there that, that do make, or, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, mm-hmm. yeah. real character. Um, but um, I feel like it's 
San Francisco really shines for a win this one, and it's um, it, it just makes me uh, like a pine for the place. I'm like, my God, it's a gorgeous yeah. city. Um, yeah. But that's it. I wouldn't want to live there now because it's super expensive and yeah. it's full of homeless people. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and also, you know, um, at the hills, walking up and down those hills, fuck all that. Um, <laughs> you get the tram, it's fine. The tram is for tourists only. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it was it was quite it was quite nice to see it like that. But it was also very, I don't know, if it was deliberate. Or it was just a, a a side effect of the way they shot it. But it was very empty. A lot of the scenes sort of around San Francisco it seemed very quiet. Yeah, uh, not many people in the streets. Not a lot of life. Mm. I'm wondering if that's um, like an identifying mark of the time. I mean, San Francisco. It's not the the place that a lot of people who sort of like on mass go to. I mean, yes, it's a big metropolis, but you don't, you don't hear people kind of going, "Oh yeah, I'm going to move to San Francisco." It's I'm going to move to LA or I'm going to move to New York. Those are two the two kind of east and west coast cities, and I wonder it's if city, it, it's not. It still isn't the mecca for filmmaking, though. It's yeah. interesting because people like Lucasfilm are based there, or yeah. they were um, before Disney bought them. Um, yeah. You know, so there's a lot of stuff. I mean, um, the, the Coppola family from up that way. Um, was all, uh, George Lucas, I think, was based up there for a while, along with Robin the, Williams, was famously found there on the streets in Sausalito. Um, and so it's there's a lot of talent. It's surprising it's not used more often. And um, but it, that car chase scene is arguably the greatest car chase scene in film history. Um, it felt real. You think you sort mm. of indicated it? You sort of it didn't feel as detached. I mean. Uh, I, I put my hand up. I've only seen one of the Fast and Furious films, and as I always say, it was because it was I was in Japan, and it was the only thing on television in English, and um, that's the reason I watched it, and I didn't like it. Um, funny, I'm sure everyone who watches and listens to the show would have assumed I'd be a massive fan. I'm sure, um, but those those car chases have just become so far to detached mm -hmm. from reality. It's oh, so yeah. much about spectacle now and pulling off ridiculous stunts mm -hmm. um, that. They're not really about tension anymore or progressing the no. story. Um, I know I hinted it earlier, this film, the story really exists to progress the action, but mm. it, it does, there is a story element to it. Um, yeah, and there, there's it felt, a difference. It felt real. It felt like there was risk involved. It felt mm. like, you know, that uh, it didn't feel like a movie car chase. Mm. It felt like something I would have done in Grand Theft Auto, where you don't really have full control of yeah. what goes on. Um, and you know, I think the thing I like most, and it's really weird because apparently it was a mistake. Um, at one point, Steve McQueen, who is chasing the bad guys, uh, mm. overshoots a turn and has oh, to back clips up. The car. Sorry, clips the clips the edge. No, of the no, car. He, he goes too far. He got he yeah. misses a turn and then has to spin the wheels and back up and then go down. Yes. Which would very likely happen in the car chase, you know, like, yeah. you, you know, I've seen them on TV and, and cops and stuff like that, you know, um, they don't always, you know, like in, in movie car chases so often the chasing person knows him to know exactly where to turn. They make all the right turns and, you know, you're moving at that speed, very easy to overshoot. Um, mm -hmm. That's what actually happened. Steve McQueen accidentally uh, overshot the turn and had to back up and, and then take the turn. 
uh, and they, for whatever reason, decided it worked, and they kept the um, and they kept the footage in the film. Um, yeah. So, but I thought that really added to it for me. It was like this is beautiful. It's like really makes me feel like this is a real car chase. Absolutely. Um, and I will even overlook the fact that the bad guy's car lost five hubcaps somehow. <laughs> you know, they always carry a spare. The only other thing I've mentioned is um, the, the scenes at the hospital um, uh, mm-hmm. were really nice. So the chase sequence in the basement between Steve McQueen and the mm-hmm. bad guy was really great and tense. Um, but could they afford some lights? It's very dark <laughs> in the hospital. It is like, dark, yeah. Um, it is dark. And disturbingly, though, that hospital still exists. And it's called the Zuckerberg General Hospital or something, San Francisco General Hospital. And I'm like, yeah, named after that, Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Now, let's talk about a couple of the other performances in here because the other, I suppose, big name that we've got in here is Robert Vaughan, who, you know, if you had a dad who um, liked to get you to watch some of the old classics, you'd definitely recognise this, or Superman 3. Yes. Um, <laughs> he is... Uh, he plays Chalmers in this one, and he is—he plays it really quite, quite brilliantly because there's a lot of the the story sets it up. So like, oh, is he an insider? Is he working against this, or is is he just this antagonistic guy who is kind of laser focused on getting his man and getting everything done? And it he keeps you guessing throughout the whole movie, and he just plays it really well. He's not this overtly kind of mustachio twirling, I'm going to do this my way, or anything like that. He's just a very, very focused, dedicated guy and is just at loggerheads with Steve McQueen. And it's never to a point where they end up talking with their fists or anything like that. It's just, I think maybe they share four scenes, five scenes throughout the whole film. And it's just great the way that they use the silence and that, awkwardness between them to tell the story of these two people they don't get along uh, i was half yeah. expecting turning to the police chief from last action hero you know <laughs> you know <laughs> friends are hardly shattered you know like which yeah obviously with parody of because that became such a cliche you know um in 80s <laughs> cop films um but it did, you're right it took a different path and you you sort of you were half you're 99 for sure like this guy's so in on it at the end mm. But he wasn't, and it no. just happens to add an interesting third element, it's almost a triangle uh, mm-hmm. of, um, of you know the good guy, Steve McQueen, the bad guys, and then then Charmers mm-hmm. doing whatever he was doing, and you know um, moving his story along his way. And it, but mm-hmm. he does come. He, maybe it's also because it's Robert Vaughn. You're sort of expecting him to play a bad guy because he usually did, I think, play a bad guy. Pretty, pretty, um, pretty common for him to be a bad guy, or at least an anti-hero. I mean, was he? He was, like, he was in the A Team, I think, is where I first saw him back in the eighties. Holy shit, he was! I've forgotten that. <laughs> wow. He's, uh, he's done a lot. Of, he did a lot of work in his, his lifetime. He had a very, very familiar face. Yeah, yeah. Like the other I, famous. I the other oh famous shit, he was in the A Team. He was he, a bunch of times. Yeah, and I, I always just think of him as the man from Uncle, which is another little connection 
to um, the uh, the Great Escape because um, the guy who played um, Ilyenia Kurelenko in that his his uh, Russian alternate was one of the prisoners in the in Great Escape. So that, it's a funny little connection there. A man from Uncle. Do not make me think about film. Oh, we don't need to worry about the film. We're talk- I'm talking about the 1964 TV series. Okay? Yeah, man, that gets better. It's like my goodness. <laughs> um, we saw it together. Remember? Um, we did. Yep. We uh, did. The other name you might recognise in here, of course, is Robert Duvall, who has a nice little role as the mm-hmm. cab driver. Yeah. Which it was like it was funny seeing him in this movie and going, oh yeah, he was young once. <laughs> 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 sort of, but not really. Um, it didn't look that young. What's what, <laughs> true? The dated part of the film for me was that, and I didn't know this because um, I guess I never caught a lot of cabs before they stopped being a thing. Um, mm. But like, it was like, it seemed like a regular thing. You could be in a cab going, hey, pull over. I want to make a phone call. Wait. Yeah. And like, and I didn't have to go, give the guy any money or anything to sit there and wait. He's just going to sit there and wait for you to make a phone call. And I'm like, <laughs> Is it if something happens in a movie? So people do that. Yeah. If you're yeah. if you're listening or, or watching and you're old enough to remember that kind of shit, tell us. Yeah. yeah. Ever had a cab pull over, um, and so you could use the phone. Um, I will pay. Grand Australian tradition is to make the cab go through the Hungry Jack's drive-through on the way home from a nightclub. That. Has <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> It's pulling over to make a phone call. Didn't know that was a thing. Well, I guess it makes sense because, I mean, like now everyone's got a mobile phone so they don't need to pull over or anything like that. But, you know, back then it was sort of like, oh, yeah, I need oh, to yeah, make I a guess call. So, but it just seems like an odd thing to do. Would you want to make the phone call before you get in the car? <laughs> just halfway through through journey to somewhere very obviously specific because you booked a taxi to go there. It's not sort of like, I'm just going to go for a drive. (laughs) You know what? I haven't spoken to Terry in three months. I should stop and pull over. I will say, though, (laughs) you've obviously been in San Fran. I don't know if you found this in your travels. But um, Mm. the the subway is garbage um, Mm -hmm. in L.A. It's better than L.A. because it has to Mm -hmm. have a subway in in San Francisco. But it is Mm -hmm. trash. Um, So... (laughs) It basically cabs and Uber now are, are basically public transport in that city. Yeah, um, pretty much. Because I know we stayed in a shitty part of town, and friend of a show, Patria, like, oh, let's just walk up to the other end of town, and we ended up walking through like a homeless camp. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get stabbed, or I'm going to get like leprosy just from walking through here because it was pretty nasty. Um, no disrespect yep. to people who are homeless for no fault of their own. Just saying, it was. Pretty nasty part of town, and like so, um, and and that's something that San Francisco has quite a few of is you know, nasty parts of town. Um, yes. So it's anyway, it's off topic, and that never happens to cabs. Um, I just re- remembered another movie that takes place in San Francisco, and it is a classic, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, of course, how could we not mention that? Yeah, I would have say Mr. Raphael. Of course, yeah. Wow. All right. In which, in which Robin Williams gave out the actual address of the actual house that that was shot at. Mm. Not happy. Seeking to learn on the San Francisco movie bus tour. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, the final sequence, the only the other thing is, and speaking of things that are dated, the final sequence set at the airport, dates oh, yeah. it. I mean, it's it's an incredible, incredible chase scene, action yeah. finale, and it reminded me very much of Heat, which you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, because that, I think, resolves in an airport, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. And so I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if Michael Mann was influenced by this when he was making that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the chase sequence is incredible, though it was kind of funny that they managed to get the guy off a plane, uh, the bad guy off a plane, and he had a gun. <laughs> he was right. It was the sixties. You probably could take a gun on the plane back then. Um, it's so weird looking at these old movies, and you just look at them. So, like, how little security there was back in those days. It's you know now we we know so like oh you're going international you need to be there like eight hours before to book in and check everything and you're not allowed to take any more than twenty five mils of fluid or whatever on the on the plane. It's like yeah, and even going back to when you could smoke on a plane. I can barely <laughs> remember that. It's nuts. It's nuts kind of trying to go back to that mindset if you've been through an airport in the last five years, 10 years. Last 20 years. 20 You're years right. since 9-11. So um, that's when security theatre really kicked off. Um, mm. And, yeah, you, I, you couldn't... Um, I, I think I always tell the story. I got a plane. I was in Canada on 9-11, and I caught mm. a flight. My flight home to Australia was in two weeks or so after 9-11 happened, and mm. I had to do transit through Honolulu on the way home. Despite oh. the fact that I wasn't on the way to Canada, I stopped in Honolulu, and you just got to get, get off the plane and wait around in the transit area. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um, then on the way back, they made everyone clear customs and immigration, even if I wasn't staying in Honolulu, which I was not. Mm. Um, which led to one of the creepiest things I've ever seen, which is a group of Hawaiian people in Hawaiian shirts playing ukuleles, uh, putting layers on people's heads at one in the morning. That's just wrong. Um, okay. And uh, they were actually stopping it. But also, you know, like I remember walking through the airport because every 10 metres there was someone with a machine gun who wanted to see either your boarding pass or your passport. So I'm just walking through the airport basically like this with my passport open in this hand, my boarding pass in this hand going, which one do you want? That one? Okay, so there's that one. There's that one. And it was just... Meanwhile, someone's trying trying to put some flowers around your neck. It was was a bit like um, airplane or flying higher from a train. It's flyer on the church of consciousness. uh, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a wonderful chase sequence. Also, the the, um, the chase over the tarmac in between the jumbo jets was brilliant, and the stunt where uh, I think that actually was Steve McQueen um, lying on the ground as a plane rolled over the top of him. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a no way in hell you would get your A A grade movie star anywhere near that mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Um, but it looked fucking good. Yeah, it really does, and it's. Despite, like we said at the beginning, there's no kind of neat bow on the story or anything like that. It feels very satisfying, especially how it kind of ends on a bit of a dour note where you've got Steve McQueen going back to his um, apartment and he sees his girlfriend and it's just kind of just left there. It's like, okay, because it it really nicely sort of leaves it nebulous because you have that beautiful little scene where... um, after the the big car chase where he's sort of like totaled his car, 
his girlfriend is driving him to, to the next location to, to investigate, and she sees this dead body that's been brutally strangled. Really vicious marks around her neck. Her body is splayed out like a mannequin. It's disgusting. And it affects her. And they pull, she just pulls over, and they have this really lovely little scene just by the river. And then um, she just talks to him and says, are you desensitized to this? Is, is this your norm? And it's just... He doesn't really give any answers or anything like that. He just has this very honest, real conversation about what it's like to be a cop. And then it, the movie ends with them and it's like, okay, what's going to happen? This has been a harrowing 24 hours for him. Is he going to take any of that to heart? Is he going to try and change things? And you're just left with the question. It's great. you got to wonder, though, if you're dating a police police member, mm. cop, detective, whatever, mm. would you be surprised that they're a little bit desensitized to horrible things and violence considering what they do on a day-to-day basis? I'd be worried if they weren't a little desensitized. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine you would last long if you didn't. So yeah. I was a little bit confused by, by her reaction in the sense that we, I take it that she's his girlfriend mm. and she knows what he does for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Why would you think him reacting that way around a murder victim is weird, considering that's what he does for a living? I do also find it kind of funny. Um, you know, he's being con- he's considered this loose cannon on the force and he's a, is a hazard to, to the people of San Francisco and all that sort of stuff. And you look at it and it's like, well, actually, when you look at some of the cop movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and Bruce Willis and things like that have made, it's like, he's actually very, very calm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not exactly, they, they redefined loose cannons. So it's a, the cannons yeah. got looser and looser as time went on. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed this film immensely, actually. Mm. It's um, mm. it's it's a time capsule for, for a film of its time. But mm-hmm. it, it really holds up particularly well, even 50 years later, just look the way it's shot, the way it looks, the sound, mm-hmm. the, the action sequences. Like action directors today in their wildest dreams couldn't direct something as much, as, with as much fun and excitement and tension as Peter Yates has done here yeah. um, 50 years ago. And as you said, it kind of probably suffers a little bit from the Godfather effect. Are you going to go, oh, this isn't very original. I've seen this done 100 times. Mm-hmm. But you've seen it done a hundred times because these guys did it first yeah, or did it exactly. best at least. And it's been ripped off for the last 50 years. So yeah. um, people are still probably ripping it off today. Um, I can't think mm-hmm. of a more recent example, but in the rock, which is, you know, feels recent to me, but was 25 years ago. Um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, <sorry. laughs> but, um, it's, it's still a really fun, um, tense cop drama. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely agree. And I think that it would be, you know, it's for me, it would this type of story. I would love to see a modernization of this. Just um, I don't think we need it, but I think that it could stand to be modernized and just essentially retold. Um, And it's because it's just intelligent action smartly directed it does everything it needs to do to get the the point and the purpose of the movie across <laughs> so yeah but now the big question where are we going next sir 
I'm going to take a, a a bit of a uh, an unusual link this time. Uh, in the sense, usually we go and there's a lot of fairly yes, well known actors in the, in the I could go. You know, I did I did threaten last week to uh, to go to follow Robert Vaughn to uh, Superman three, but um, I, I feel like that. it's going to come eventually. Wow, this was the opportunity, wasn't it? Um, or <laughs> you suggested following um, the director to Kroll, Kroll. <laughs> um, which I watched a year ago, and uh, that's far too recent for my my taste. Um, I used to like that movie, but no, no, I am going to follow the composer, Lilo Schifrin. Okay. And Lilo Schifrin, who was nominated for six Oscars, never won one. But he also directed a film three years after this, which I just couldn't say no to, considering. Mm. And I'm breaking the rule a little bit here in the I haven't seen it uh, rule because I have seen this one a few times, but it's been a long time. And we're going to okay. go and watch Dirty Harry from 1971, also oh, set damn. in San Francisco. Uh, and I think almost a natural successor or a natural um, sequel yeah. in a way to, to, to Bullet. Yeah, that's that's a that's a logical one. <laughs> I could have gone. Well, I'm going to follow San Francisco, but no, I, I actually did determine that <laughs> he did he did work. Uh, Lelo Schifrin did work on in the music department. Uh, one, uh, both of those films. Of course, mm. if you haven't seen it, this is the 1971 iconic mm. um, Clint Eastwood um, police drama, which I think in some ways may have been even more influential than Bullet. Yeah. I don't think that Dirty Harry would have happened were it not for Bullet and for the success of Bullet. But, yeah, I think the long-lasting effect, you know, most people know the phrase, do I feel lucky? <laughs> you know, whereas you don't really have catchy lines like that in Bullet. No, it's a little bit. It's a little bit more uh, of a character. It's a little bit more memorable than um, mm. than the cat. But uh, I and I'll put my hand up and say I'm sorry, uh, as I think it's other than leaving you with uh, the exit through Clint Eastwood. Um, it, it's a slightly trickier one to get out of because there's not a lot of big names in it. But you know, oh. Clint Eastwood. Well, there's uh, Joseph Summer, so we could go back to witness. <laughs> Oh, he, he was in one of the X Men films, I think. Was yeah, he was. He was a he was a president. Ooh, Strange Days. Strange Days is a great movie. Mm. Um, but you know, you, you may um, there's always like Clint Eastwood's your uh, get out of jail mm. free card because yeah, you know, one of the great filmmakers of all time. Yeah, but that's next week. Um, it is available, I believe, on Apple to rent. If you mm -hmm. have the Foxtel, it's on there. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, um, I think you can get it in normal rental places if you'd like to watch it uh, along with us and cool. listen in next week to hear what, what Archimedes thinks of it. Probably, probably thinks that it's terrible and it wasted his my time instead of fussing him and feeding him. <laughs> All right, where should we go next? I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. Yeah, okay, let's get that all queued up, shall we? What, uh, who is our sponsor this week? Our sponsor this week is uh, Channel 9 from November 12, 1995. They've been very generous. Okay, uh, yeah, there we go. And, yeah, we'll go see what they've got to say for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
At last, somebody who knows about engine protection has introduced a total range of car care products. New Pyroil Performance Products. Protect and enhance the vital running systems of your car. Pyroil from Valvoline. In 1898, my great-grandfather, William Grant, created a secret blend of Scotland's finest whiskies. He handed on this secret to my grandfather and he to my father. And for five generations, my family have carefully handed on the secret of William Grant's family reserve Scotch whisky. Grant's share the secret. For the men who give their best every day, for the men who strive to excel in every way, we offer our best Gillette Sensor XL. With spring-mounted blades and microfins, Sensor XL sets up your beard for incredible smoothness and confident shaping. New Sensor XL. For those who strive for excellence, get the world's best shave. Sensor XL. The best a man can get. Join Diners Club right now or introduce a friend to Diners Club and you could win two first-class tickets to London Flying Cathay Pacific. Staying five nights at the luxurious Ritz Hotel. Then all aboard Cunard Line's majestic QE2 for a five-day cruise to New York. And that's not all. There are also hundreds of other prizes. So join now and live like the rich and famous with Diners Club. Hi Al, what can you tell us about Valvoline? Well, Valvoline BS5 multi-grade motor oil, it's an SAE 20W50 engine oil blended from high quality paraffinic base oils incorporating a balance of additives providing all... Want to know more? Ask your professional. An IndyCar team costs millions, but now for the price of a pack of Valvoline... And we... Uh, Valvoline had a lot to say for themselves this week. Um... Mm -hmm. Uh, a little bit more Valvoline than I was expecting from Channel 9. Well, you did miss the um, uh, William, Grant, uh, William Grant whiskey blend. And mm, quality. How it was passed so, down from my great-grandfather to my grandfather. Oh, the product testing, mango milk. Smells like mango. Mm-hmm. Tastes like milk. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't think I like it. I don't like it. <laughs> That's the look of satisfaction. <laughs> I don't know that these two things are meant for each other. I like it. The banana one's good, and the papaya one is not bad. They had both. I was going, I almost went with banana, but maybe we'll give it a try in future. Mm -hmm. um, where should we go next? I, I think on the weekend I mm. saw... One of uh, a film that was highly recommended to me um, by uh, someone who shall remain remain nameless. <laughs> Just say their name. Kind of rhymed with Rochelle. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so that'll do. Um, <laughs> as being one of the best horror films they'd seen from someone who doesn't particularly care for horror films. So, you know, grain of salt. Hmm. Um, but uh, funny enough, I recall seeing this when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. The film is Warlock from 1989. 1989. Um, starring uh, Julian Sands, Laurie Singer, 
and an incredibly weirdly cast Richard E. Grant. Yes. Um, so a warlock flees from the 17th to the 20th century with a witch hunter in hot pursuit. So um, the film opens in the 17th century, 1690 or something, I think. And we have uh, Julian Sands tied up in a, uh, or basically restrained in a witch tower, like a big stone tower thing. I reckon it might have been the same stone tower from um, uh, Lovecraft Country. There was a big stone tower in like episode three or four of that thing. That, oh, uh, maybe it was, I, I can't say. But anyway, he's basically like in the stocks, kind of like thumb restraint things. I'm like, there's some mm-hmm. serious fucking kink shit going on. Yeah, in uh, the 16th, 17th century, they know how to get down um, when witches were involved. And if we don't really see exactly what he can do or why he's there, other than they keep telling us he's a bad dude, he's a witch, and he's a well, you know, he's really evil and all that. And uh, Richard Grant comes in and, and beats the shit out of him and says, I'm going to kill you tomorrow because you're going to get executed. And of course, he escapes <gasps> and then uses the magic to turn into a whirlwind, which like somehow transported him 300 years into the future. Inexplicably, Richard Grant is somehow transported as well. Um, because story. Because it's never actually really explained how it happened. Like he wasn't in the room when it happened. Um, <laughs> I remember. And, I don't think the, the the warlock in this case, Julian Sands's character, actually meant to um, bring a witch hunter along with him. Because why would you? Bring him with me because I get lonely. He ends up landing uh, or basically crashing through a window at Laurie Singer's place, mm-hmm. um, and like, there's a name and a face. She's like Laurie Singer. I feel like I should know she, it. From. I feel like she had a moment. She was in Footloose, but other than that, I I can't say that I recall. She was in Fame. Maybe that was it um, for those of us old enough to remember the, the TV show. Um, but she lives at a with her housemate who uh, – his name escapes me. He's um, uh, He doesn't last long, needless to say. But they, he crashes through a window. They, rather than calling the police or an ambulance or anything, they just don't – Keep take him in and bring, let him stay for the night because random dudes crashing through your wind, window in the middle of the night, that's the kind of thing you're totally okay with usually. Um, and um, he wakes up in the morning and starts eyeing off uh, her gay housemate uh, and ends up uh, cutting off his hand and then killing him um, because that's warlock's going to warlock, y'all. Uh, <laughs> Shortly thereafter, um, Richie Grant turns up uh, and manages to convince Laura Singer that uh, he's her only hope. And at that point, the actual plot of the film becomes obvious. This is the Terminator. Mm-hmm. That's what this film is. It's the Terminator with, with magic. Um, all Richie, I would have loved to see Richie Grant come, come with me if you want to live. Uh, um, I'd just love to see him do that line. It would be brilliant. But that's essentially... The, the, the guts of it. Um, Warlock casts a spell on Laurie Singer's character, Cassandra with a K, um, and mm-hmm. basically she's aging 20 years every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's what it was. So she's convinced to help Richard Grant try and track him down uh, in an effort to try and break the spell. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then they was basically a, a pursuit that we're trying to track down the warlock, and so Richard Grant can somehow dispose of him, kill him, because he's going to he's trying to find the pages to the satanic bible or something which has the name of god in it if he says it backwards the entire world is uncreated or something it's kind of actually a cool um you know uh, plot device but um it's where this film does fall down uh the special effects they are chronically awful like even by this is 89 so mm-hmm. by 1989 standards this is 10 years after they did superman where mm-hmm. you remember how i mean you probably don't because you went alive but um how uh, how <laughs> revolutionary um christopher reeves flying was in the original superman you know that blue screen technology oh my god um and it's this looks worse than that <laughs> it's considerably yeah. worse um in one of the more brutal uh, scenes in the film it's off screen but it's, in, it's basically implied that Julian Stans murders a small boy uh, in order yeah. to use to part, I'm going to put it parts of his body in a flying potion mm-hmm. apparently they were going to film that I'm like holy shit um, I would have okay. no way you would have got away with that um, so he's able to fly once he kills this kid uh, and the flying is just awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Um, they run into a uh, a Mennonite, uh, which you know, he, uh, which is basically a type of almost like a um, the um, what are the old people were uh, in witness? What are they called again? Amish. Amish. Thank you. Sorry, start with a, um, <laughs> uh, which is a bit of a, a historical. Um, misnomer because the uh, Richard Grant pretends he knows or says he knows what Amish people are, but they didn't come to America until after he got transported to the future. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, it, the final uh, sequence of a final fight scene is in a uh, graveyard mm-hmm. um, with some of the least convincing gravestones I've seen uh, not on an Australian television show. Um, that foam was entirely convincing for the time. Polystyrene gravestones were, were quality. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's it, it's it's a decent enough uh, sequence, but it's um, it's it's a, it's special effects really let it down. Uh, it's mm-hmm. trying pretty hard to be a cross between the Exorcist and Terminator, as I said, and it doesn't really pull it off. It's not scary. It's not gruesome. It's... it's not really exciting it's and honestly some of the special effects literally made me laugh that was so awful um it was so unconvincing um yeah uh, even uh the person you know uh who who uh suggested it uh indicated that what their memory may have been a little bit skewed if this is what they thought was a good horror film yeah because I don't think of this movie as a horror movie. I I think of it, it's trying to be, but it just, all of it just looks so bad. It doesn't come across as gory. And it could, it could have been gory, like the, the, the murder of a child and the way that the um, Julian Sands kind of fucks up um, the the gay housemate at the beginning and things like that. It's like okay, those those could have been really brutal and disgusting and horrible, but it doesn't really kind of go 
far enough. Yeah, it's sort of like it's trying, it's sort of trying to walk a middle line in a way. Like it's not as yeah. gory as a, an eighties horror film like some um, Nightmare on Elm Street or mm-hmm. Halloween or the Friday the Thirteenth films, where slasher films. So it's not quite mm-hmm. as gruesome as something like that. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. as scary or, or um, creepy as something as The Exorcist. It's mm-hmm. not as exciting as something like The Terminator. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, sitting in this weird middle ground where it doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely. I, I still kind of love it because it was Richard E. Grant. I always love him. Um, Julian Sands, I remember when I first watched this, he was scary to me, but now I just look back at it and kind of go, mm, why, why were you scary to me? <laughs> he, had his, he was a creepy looking dude. I'll give him that. He, he mm-hmm. was well cast and I thought he was pretty mm. good at it. Um, and I, for funny enough, I think this is the only film of his that I can actually ever remember seeing, but I might've seen, oh, did see with Naked Lunch at one point in time, and he was in that. Um, mm-hmm. I did see Arachnophobia, but I uh, blacked that out of my memory. Um, <laughs> uh, I can't, as much as Richie Grant is one of our favourite actors, uh, and I do love him in this, he is kind of hilariously miscast as kind of a <laughs> poor man's, uh, a poor man's uh, Highlander. Yeah, he's, he, he's not... Like it would be like me being cast as a wrestler. It's just this doesn't look right. And it's, no matter those, how the very guts and glory it may be, <laughs> no, yeah, no that, that just sound, would make me look like um what the fuck was that um gorilla giganto yeah the the one with the kind of like weird hairy bodysuit thing from like. Oh, the, uh, LG, LG, um, Giant Gonzalez. Yes, Giant Gonzalez. Yeah. You're not seven feet tall, though. Yeah, no, no I'm not. <laughs> I could be with silts. <laughs> um, uh, I must say, Richie Grant uh, most resembled um, the QAnon uh, shaman who uh, was arrested for raiding the US <laughs> Capitol at the start of the year. It's probably most reminded me of in this film. <laughs> That is amazing. It's so true. <laughs> the Dino. The Dino. Now I just want to see that QAnon guy just go, glorious purpose. <laughs> <laughs> He's the kind of guy who would. Yeah, he probably would, actually, which is kind of disturbing. <sighs> but... Um, it's it's not the worst movie in the world. It's not, not tragically awful. I mean, I, I didn't hate it. It was just like, eh. I kind of <laughs> remember this being kind of a film that you was on TV and you told to go to bed because it was a bit too scary for kids. Mm. Yeah, no, not really. It's it's the kind of movie that we, we, we stumble onto them from time to time where it's like, oh, yeah, I have fond memories of that. I am not going to touch that because right now it's this perfect little bubble and if I try and re-enter that, that's going to pop and it's going to be bad. It's not, it's, yeah, this is best left in your memory. I'll say that. If mm-hmm. it seems happily living in your memory, leave it there. Don't spoil mm-hmm. it. Absolutely agree. <laughs> now, where should we go next? You want to talk a little bit about Rick and Morty? May as well, because I think we, we talked about maybe the first episode or two. Mm. Um, and the last couple have been interesting, particularly, I think, episode 
four mm. um, had got some interesting reactions. Mm. So um, where are we? He's trying to find the name of the episodes here. Yeah. Um, we have got um, episode four was Rick Dependent Spray and Amortican Graffiti. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, uh, it's interesting. So we look at the uh, scores on IMDb this season. We've got mm -hmm. a 9.1 for uh, Mort Dinner Rick Andre. Uh, Multiplicity. Mm -hmm. Multiplicity's got it's a nine in episode mm -hmm. two. Um, a Rick Convenient Mort is a 7.9 in episode mm -hmm. three. And Rick Dependent Spray has a 5.6. Mm -hmm. And then we up to a Morty Can Griffith Feety um, as back up to a 7.3. So that's probably about as low in a score for a, an episode mm -hmm. as I can recall, um, yeah. which is quite interesting. As I said, that's um, the one where I've heard some people call it out for being a little bit too disgusting. So, episode four Rick Dependent Spray. Morty has the idea to use a horse breeding mount to extract his semen, but after Rick tries to use it to create a weapon, thinking it was horse sperm, he ends up creating sperm monsters that threaten the entire country. <laughs> so stupid. Um, it's stupid. And the funny thing is that I really kind of laughed my ass off at this one quite a bit. I thought Me it was too. very, very funny. I mean, yeah, yeah it's gross um, and out there, but... It's Rick and Morty. They're grossing out there yeah. every week. Yeah. It's like criticizing South Park for being gross and inappropriate, right? It's what South Park does. Yeah. It's, it's brand gross, gross and inappropriate. Um, it does see the, this episode also sees the return of Keith David as the president um, mm -hmm. and the introduction of the Chuds, which would be horse <laughs> monster things. Um uh, one of which is voiced by Christina Ricci, um, which was I didn't realize until now. But um, wow, okay, yeah, uh, I think it came out. But um, even one of the writers came out and said it was kind of gross or kind of disgusting. Um, that uh, it was just a little bit kind of I think it grossed a lot of people out. That might have been the first time where they went, mm, you know, a little bit too mm. far for their fan base. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't – I guess I kind of understand to a point, but I don't really know what else you would be expecting. I mean, it's um, a ridiculous scenario, and it's in a ridiculous show which has pushed the envelope so fucking far in so many other places. It's like, okay, it, is the problem that it's semen? I don't quite get where the hang-up really is. Writer Nick Rutherford called the episode tricky. Dan didn't want to hinge an episode on a lie, Rutherford said. The audience knows something where Rick doesn't, and Morty knows it, and we know that Morty knows it, and we know that Morty didn't tell Rick. Um, season 5, episode 4 received many rewrites. In one, both Rick and Morty knew that the sperm had come from Morty. In another, it was just Rick's secret. Along the way, horse people got involved, Harmon said. Random left turns like underground horse people is sometimes the only evidence you're, you're having fun. But it turns out he was partially joking. Rutherford summed up the episode best. I think it turned out disgusting and tasteless. Oh. Um, I don't know. Like, again, disgusting and tasteless is kind of their brand. Yeah. Um, 
adults swim, that's what they do. I um, I, I don't know. Uh, so in, in the trivia area, it says, in the behind-the-scenes feature on Adult Swim's YouTube channel, writer Nicholas Rutherford mentioned that he doesn't know how the episode was allowed to air, given he found it disgusting and tasteless. Director Erica Hayes was similarly bemused and jokingly summarised the episode by saying, that happened. Um, okay. Wow. So I don't know. I I remember thinking it's uh, – I, I feel like most Rick and Morty episodes get better with a few different viewings. Mm. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to look at it, um, see it again. Mm. Um, but um, I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I, you know, I thought um, that it was much better than a, a Mortican Greek feti, which I, I thought, thought exactly. So, episode five, we just watched last night. And mm. um, yeah, so Summer and Morty steal Rick's car to impress a new kid at school. Meanwhile, Rick and Jerry have a guy's night from hell. I didn't hate this episode, but I thought this is by far the weakest episode this season. Yeah, absolutely agree. It was, it overall felt very vanilla and it was like, okay, I don't really know what you're trying to push here because they're always very clever on using absurdity to highlight a certain point or something and make something that has been brought up in in society and just point out how ludicrous it is. And this is like, okay, I really don't get what you're aiming for here. It's fun. It's engaging. Um, it's interesting to kind of go, all right, there's the character of Rick's car has got a bit more story now, but otherwise it's like, okay, this is just a filler episode. I don't know. Yeah, it was not their best work. No. Not their no. best work. And, I mean, um, Dan Harmon and Justin Royland's not best work mm. is better than what a lot of people will ever come up with, I think. Um, they set their bar very, very high. Um, mm. But, yeah, this one, I mean, so we're going to have one or two middling episodes. This is the worst episode of the season. It's a decent season. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Uh, it was, I do think, again, though, like a bit like, Episode four, I think it would be it'll improve with watches. Mm. I think watch it again. I think yeah. I'll pick up on something I didn't get this time. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, other one, I I'm still enjoying this season very much. I I, I think people are it's uh, they're looking to. We said this last season. They're they're looking to slay the mm. you know uh, sacred cow every year. Oh, they've jumped the shark. They've jumped the shark. Mm. You keep saying you've yeah. jumped the shark long enough. You get it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably, unless they just quit making it before it happens. Um, <laughs> you know, people have probably been saying South High's jumped shark now for 20 years and they're probably still wrong. Um, the way that um, the way that Justin Rollins and co. do the show, though, I feel like the, they will know when they're jumping the shark and the last episode will be called Jumping the Shark or something like yeah. that, and that's where they'll sign off. <laughs> I, yeah, I would imagine so. They're, um, uh, they're very self-aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have to imagine the guys behind Rick and Morty now are probably getting pretty well paid for this shit. So, yeah, yeah. it's not exactly like something we're just doing it because they need the money. I would hope mm-hmm. so, but they will be doing it because they've still got a story to tell. They're still passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel like. I mean, I feel like you're probably if all you've got is telling stories about Rick's car. You are mm-hmm. probably starting to get towards the bottom of a barrel of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's a potential red flag. 
but you know, I think it's it's way too early to start to say that they have lost Definitely. their edge or anything like that. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I'm right. going to say it's, it's fun to have something to look forward to every week because, like, they're releasing a one episode at a time. Yeah, yeah, it's nice because obviously Loki's done for now, and it's going to be a couple of weeks at least until we get our next Disney show to follow along with, which will ultimately end up being a, a nil sum. But you know, <laughs> I think the next one is designed to be. It'll be um, what if, yes. I think so. I think it's what if. Um, I think it's coming out. I think the next live action one is going to be Hawkeye. Yes. I'm still very curious to see what if. Um, uh, it says 2021. It doesn't say when. No. Um, but I had a feeling I read it, it, it um, August 11 uh, for what if. Um, and okay. I, I think this is potentially one of the um, shows that I was most excited to hear about them making when they announced their slate of uh, Disney Plus shows mm. a couple of years ago, uh, whenever mm. it was. Mm. Um, I'm like, this sounds exactly like the kind of thing i like um a bit disappointing that it's animated um i don't know that marvel's animation studio is anything like what dc's is um so i don't know i don't know what to expect um but i'm uh, disappointed with the trailer that came out it looks like it's all the stories are going to be in the same animation style and i would have liked them to go like um the animatrix route or, or like um, different robots yeah, where it's just kind of going, yep, this is going to be in this style, this is in this style. That would have just been visually more interesting for me. Um, but if the story is good, then that's that's okay. I'll easily forgive them. It just looks kind of cheap animation from the trailer. So those who don't know, what if uh, exploring pivotal moments from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and turning them on their head, leading the audience into uncharted territory? So in episode one, what would have happened to Peggy Carter Steve Rogers uh, took, not Steve Rogers, took the super soldier serum at the start of World War II. Cool, super cool idea. Um, the voice cast is the voice cast of, you know, the actual, you know, you'd want. It's Hayley Atwell as Peggy Carter. We've got everyone from mm -hmm. Tom Hiddleston to Chris Hemsworth. I don't know if that's just like they have one cast for every show because there's a lot of characters in here that you would question why the hell would be in here? But anyway, um, mm. like why would Killmonger be sharing a show with um, Hayley Out or Peggy Carter? <laughs> and it's just like the cast for the whole thing. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, if it, people forget that the first Marvel TV show was Agent Carter. Um, mm. And this is even, even predates the, um, the Netflix shows. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we were, I think you and I both liked the first couple of seasons of um, Peggy yeah. Carter, Asian yeah. Carter, came out. I quite, I remember really enjoying it, uh, mm -hmm. despite the fact no one else watched it. Um, <laughs> so I think it's gonna be cool. I hope it's not cheap, but yeah, it, I I don't know. Like I said, it's we'll see, we'll see. I, I love the mm -hmm. idea, but yeah, I just hope that they do it kind of just as an opportunity to just kind of just go, yeah, we're not going to be showing you the multiverse that we have now created. This is just a simple little conversation starter kind of thing. And instead, I hope that this is not sort of like, all right, we're going to be getting this. We're going to be getting that. We're going to be getting this and this and that and that. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if part of it, um, if the Killmonger side of the story gets traction, people really like it. Maybe they end up doing like a Crisis of Infinite Earths style thing later on where they bring Michael B. Jordan back as Killmonger and he's going to take on the mantle of Black Panther or something like that because everyone did love Michael B. Jordan. Getting him back for more than one movie would be a big win, you know, um, just namesake-wise. But, um, yeah, I, I hope that they just go, we're just going to tell these cool little isolated stories and you can just play with that in your own fanboy minds rather than... Yeah, I mean, that's, all, that's all I'm looking for from it. It's just, uh, mm. I, don't, I don't want anything that's going to necessarily affect canon. Just, um, just yeah. you know, what if? Yeah, be fun. A little bit of alternative yeah. MCU history. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so that's our next... Disney Plus uh, obsession in in a few weeks, and uh, it'll be the first animated show I think for uh, Marvel uh, TV. Yeah. Um, and then, as you sort of said, I think Hawkeye is um, the next cab off a rank, which, if I'm not mistaken, is um, towards the end of the year. Um, yeah, we have a date on that, I don't think so. Um, but it will, yeah. Uh, I think there's probably a little bit more anticipation for that now, considering what happened at the end of Black Widow. Sorry, mm-hmm. guys, you've gone out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's uh, that that'll be an interesting one as well. But we've got to have a lot of Marvel at back end of this year. A lot of Marvel. Yeah, yeah, we are because we've got Shang-Chi, we've got the Eternals. Um, it's there. The the ball is rolling, and there's going to be a lot. Now, should we move on again? Please. Cool. Where should we go to now? Do you want me to? Well, I, I'm done. Like I said, I've been busy this week moving house. I have had no time for anything else. Well, in that case, I will talk a little bit about something that I mentioned last week, and that is Alan Tudyk's new show, Resident Alien. So it's the new show on Sci-Fi Channel, which usually is a red flag for a lot of people. Um, this is an interesting one. I teased last week and said there's something about it that kind of reminds me of the um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead pseudo body swap alien thing of brain dead. Uh, this is a crash landed alien named Harry who takes on the identity of a small town Colorado doctor and slowly begins to wrestle with the moral dilemma of his secret mission on earth. Um, This is an interesting show in that it doesn't take the typical fish-out-of-water comedy route uh, that is so famous and so easy of a mind to to, to glean comedy gold from, the fish-out-of-water that is your paramount number one thing. Um, This is almost... It's almost like a comedy variation of Twin Peaks in some ways. You've got this cast of characters and there's they are all overall connecting to this the storyline that brings Harry into this town. But it's kind of tangential and they don't necessarily share scenes with Alan Tudyk and things like that. And 
it's it's just a, a very unusually paced kind of show because you've got like some of the particular standouts. There's a uh, Sarah Tomko who plays Asta. She's like the the lead female of the show, but it's very heavy with some strong strong female um, performances. And um, the the whole thing is centered around a murder mystery of who killed the local doctor. Um, and this is the inciting incident to get Harry brought into town. He is a, the, the township know that he's a doctor and they need someone to come in and do the autopsy on, the, on this body. And so he is an alien who has taken the form of Harry and he doesn't really know anything about being a doctor. He'll sneakily just look at YouTube videos to try and learn basics of how to, how to do certain little checks and things like that, being a local doctor. And he is that very much fish out of water thing, but it's not pushed to the extreme parody level. Um, and she is, she's got her own baggage that is kind of playing with. I don't really want to go into it too much because it's actually quite an interesting story. And the way that it resolves um, in season one, it's, it's kind of enjoyable. And I don't entirely know where it's going to go if they get a second season or what's going to happen next. But it's, yeah, it's, it's like Twin Peaks meets, I don't know, um, like Harry and the Hendersons a little bit, but not really. It's quite a unique comedy show and I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, one of the, the best elements of it is the developing humanity of Alan Tudyk's Harry character because he he walks kind of stiff and he has this very kind of monotonous way of talking and he tries to kind of work out things. But his image is also like a glamour and turns out that there's one kid in town who can actually see through the glamour and so it becomes this weird, almost kind of wet bandits versus Kevin McAllister style of kid versus bad guy kind of thing for a moment. And then the relationship changes and warps and it grows and it's all, it all feels very organic and genuine, which I, I really appreciate. I wasn't expecting this at all. And I ended up going through the whole season in a few days and it's like, okay, this is... And it's based on a uh, Dark Horse comic book. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I don't know the comic. I haven't read the comic. I haven't known anything about it. But I feel like it has probably done quite a good job of translating it because it, the comedy of it, it's in the dialogue. It's not in these kind of Three Stooges style pratfalls and things like that. It's done just through these character moments and I can imagine seeing that playing out from panel to panel and working very well. So I definitely appreciate that. It's hard to do comedy in a graphic novel form that isn't your typical old school kind of Dennis the Menace, stupid, overt, ridiculous kind of stuff. Doing this slightly more nuanced character-based comedy is, is trickier. And I feel like they've translated it very, very nicely. So um, has been greenlit for season two. Cool. According Good. to Variety. Yeah. Um, 
So the originally the first series reached an estimated 9.3 million viewers across all platforms. Um, so how many episodes? Who knows? But um, that's you know um, encouraging. Um, yeah. A lot of stuff. Like what was that? Show, that Jupiter's Ascent or whatever that stupid oh, show yeah. that got canned. Um, yeah. No, that got retooled. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism. It's an entirely different show. <laughs> uh, we just turned it into a cop drama now, and it's still a shame show um, because they're not superheroes anymore. Um, so you know, and that came from a far more celebrated, um, you know, comic book author, Mark Miller. His name was Mark Miller. Is a known name. So a real legend, you know, a very, very well known, well respected writer. So I mean, you, know, I, I can't. So maybe I could be wrong, but yeah, but you guys who, who created. Um, Resident Alien could also be like superstars in the comic industry. I don't know, but I mean, I doubt they're as famous as Mark Miller. And yeah, something as well respected as someone as well respected as him, the TV um, adaptation can still fall on its ass. So it makes mm -hmm. you feel pretty, um, pretty proud of himself. It's got a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 8.2 on IMDb. So, uh, it sounds like it's a winner. It's unfortunate. Sorry, there's um, there's also um. That there towards the tail end, we get to meet um, Linda Hamilton in a role that is not related to Terminators, which is really nice. Such thing existed, <laughs> but she's actually really good in it. She's and the kind of organization that she heads is interesting and fun, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where the story develops from there. Just such a shame it ended up on free to air television in Australia because. Honestly, it's probably a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, um, fast track to making sure no one sees it if it's just on their streaming yeah. service. Yeah. Because why would you use a free-to-air streaming service when you have to watch ads? Yeah, and it's it's just so frustrating because the ads are not for good things, and it's just all bullshit, and it does make it hard to just sit down and watch an episode. I mean, I I've tried like to. I tried to find it. Um, I mean, and it's just it's, just, it's first world problems. But um, there's no Channel Seven app for my smart TV, so I have to download the app on my phone and stream it to the telly, which you know it works, but it's kind of a pain. Uh, yeah. Or watch it on my laptop, which I just can't be. I don't like watching stuff on my laptop. I know some people do, and they know who they are, and they're wrong. <laughs> um, but. Um, you know, it. Uh, I would rather watch on my television, and like, well, there's no Note Seven, whatever the Seven app is called. Um, hmm. It's not on. There's no. They haven't built one for Samsung, so. Can I go? Well, I guess if you're going to limit your audience, pay the consequences. Um, I mean, and considering, I mean, um, considering, I mean, I don't watch a lot of free to wear telly, especially none now because. I'm in the new place. My uh, TV uh, aerial cable is in a box in that room there somewhere. There are a number of boxes in that room over there. I do not know which box it's in. Um, so uh, I'm just stuck with streaming services right now. Oh, no. Um, uh, so it's um, it, I'm not missing it very much. But when I before I moved and you know, you, 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 I'd quite often you, you'd flip through what was on free to air, you'd be like, who watches this shit? Mm. I feel like that's part of kind of the thing as well. So like any good quality TV show or 
moderate quality TV show that doesn't get picked up for one of the, the big streaming services, it kind of automatically feels a bit like a redheaded stepchild. It's like, oh, that's only on free-to-air TV, so how good can it really be? Which is a disservice to a lot of stuff that's been being produced. Uh, it makes me... I guess I don't understand the economics of free-to-air television in this country anymore, and I understand it would be increasingly difficult to, in many ways to run a free-to-air television network because your main you know, um, revenue stream with TV advertising would be drying up somewhat. Mm. Um, but why would you bid or buy, I assume, I don't know if they buy TV shows individually or they buy them in packages. Um, mm. But that putting a show on your streaming service only, wow, I mean, why bother? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just I can't can't help but feel like it's just shooting yourself in the foot. You've put you paid down money to to air this, so why not make it as as easy to get to as possible? Um, stick it on. I mean, I don't know. Like, again, like mm. it's um it, the days of actual quality television programs being on 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 free to air television in this country are well and truly behind us. I remember the, before exactly. your time, before your time, back in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> um, Channel Ten used to have had a, Channel Ten had, had an actual identity. It mm. was Channel Ten had targeted itself. It was never going to be the Boomer TV network because that was Channel Nine. The Boomers all watched Channel Nine. Um, <laughs> but you know, Channel Ten targeted our generation, the Gen X, right? The young, which at the time included young people. Mm. Um, so you know, if the, the Simpsons was on every night of a week, they'd be honest. Oh yeah. Um, so the news would be on the other channel. You could just flip over and watch The Simpsons because it was always on at 6 o'clock. Um, mm. They had The X-Files, right? The X-Files was on every Wednesday night at 8.30. And mm. everybody I knew just watched The X-Files on Wednesday. You didn't fucking call anybody. Any people who called our house was mm. our parents. I'm like, fuck off. X-Files is on. Go away. Um, <laughs> and then there used to be a TV show called Sex, hosted by Toddy Goldsmith, Um Feel free to Google it. Um, <laughs> I think it was Cuddy Goldsmith. Um, I could be wrong. And it was basically it was basically uh, TNA dressed up as you know sex education. And you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm getting it wrong. It was it was on a different channel. I don't know, but it was certainly on the same night. But TV channels used to have an an actual identity. Yeah. So if a show like The X Files came along today, mm-hmm. a it would almost certainly not be made by would never end up on a you know, on, on, on freeware TV, it'd be like Game of Thrones, right? It'd end up on a massively overpriced streaming service somewhere, but, you know, um, no one in this country wanted it apart from that show. So mm-hmm. it, it's a shame, but, yeah, something like this, I mean, if it had been on a Netflix or a Prime or you know, even a Stan or something like that, it would probably be getting a lot more buzz. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And it's it, it's kind of sad to, to talk about things like that where you – your product has to be on these pillars of um, streaming to succeed. But fortunately, that's the case we're in. Netflix, Disney, um, Stan, HBO, Fox, and Amazon. And at the moment, I feel like Amazon is a... um, It seems to be in a bit of a holding pattern. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's coming in development but a lot of their new content and a lot of their the quality of new content that's coming out 
is really not there. It's nothing compared to the others at the moment. I mean, um, apart from tomorrow, which we talked about last week, um, mm. they, they, there's, I, I quite have another flip over and be like, this is the same yeah. shit all the time. I give it to Netflix. Like, Netflix yeah. are always turning their stuff over. There's always something new popping up on Netflix. Yes. And they have a, they do a much better job of actually highlighting new stuff, like the fact that they've now got the, the top 10 streaming thing come up and they've got more recommendations. It's just um, obviously they're the kind of granddaddy of the streaming services, really. But um, it just they, they're selling their product better on their product. Amazon, it feels clunky and old. And, but... They've got some great stuff like they've got the Wheel of Time series, they've got the Lord of the Rings series, they've got Critical Role series coming. There's some really good content coming, but that's in the future somewhere, and we don't know when. It's all like, okay, well, I can see why you charge only five dollars a month because it, aside from Amazon delivery, it's not really worth it right now. Yeah, I mean, if there's new stuff turning up there, you know, you don't hear about it unless someone tells you about it. And like you say, mm -hmm. it's kind of clunky and badly designed. And Stan, mm -hmm. unfortunately, is probably in the same boat really here. I mean, um, I don't know if they've got a whole lot of new content coming on the, on the reg, but um, yeah, every time I log on, it always seems to be 15 different versions of RuPaul's Drag Race. Don't get me wrong. I love RuPaul, mm -hmm. but like, mm -hmm. you know, there's only so many, so many Drag Race shows you can take. So other than that, they don't seem to have... I see billboards um, for stuff, and I'm like, what is that? You know, like, it just doesn't yeah. look like anything I'd want to watch. Yeah, like they're pushing uh, Dr. Death with uh, Josh Jackson and Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater at the moment. So I'm like, okay. But I, mean, I was driving down the freeway, and they was advertising a show called Power Book 3, Raising Canaan, and, like, a massive billboard on the freeway. Okay. And I'm like, I must have missed Power Book 1 and 2. Um, are they about <laughs> Apple products? I don't know. Um, you know, <laughs> um, like, I, what the hell is this thing? And why is it taking up a giant billboard? Like, mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. Um, it doesn't even seem to be anybody fam particularly famous in it. Um, uh, I don't think. Um, I'm looking at it here now. I've never actually bothered to look at it because it just doesn't look like my kind of jam. But, yeah, there's no one famous in it. Um so I don't even know if there is a power book to, um, to one and two. It's it's just, you know. <laughs> that would be such a weird thing to do. My, actually, no, it's not that weird. Star Wars started with episode five. Yeah. Um, so their series is a power book two. I don't know about power book one, but anyway. Um, it's it's just you see stuff like that and you're like, huh. What a really weird you must you mustn't have much new content coming that's the kind of stuff you're whacking on your giant terribly expensive billboards on yeah. uh, major freeways oh i think it's just called power because there's power and then there's power book two ghost and then power book three raising canaan ah okay i think it's one word power book power i think i vaguely remember hearing about yeah but it's you know, from executive producer 50 Cent. I'm like, okay. It would appeal to a very specific demographic, and I don't think I'm yet. Yeah, same. But um, I did check out the trailers for um, Foundation on Apple TV. That looks like it could be good. That looks uh, like it could be good. I don't even know what that is. It's got... Um, 
Lee Pace, um, Jared Harris. Um, I can't remember who else off the top of my head, but it's based off the Isaac Asimov Foundation stories. Books. Okay, well, that's going to be a, a massive undertaking. Isaac Asimov would not be um, particularly um, uh, easy to take on. Hmm. It's It looks, there's a lot of it that looks, it very fe- feels very reminiscent of Dune, um, which still coming this year, and I'm looking forward to that movie. Um and I think that something of that scope as a TV show, if you invest quality into it, which from the trailer, it looks like they're doing cinematic quality um, production design. I think that's a good area for it. You you know, we've talked about it on and off for, for months and months and months at this point about serious sci-fi and, you know, that more methodical considered show this looks like it's going to fall into that bracket. And I'm very, very curious about it. I would be curious. I suspect, though, I tried reading Massimov a very long time ago. It's not mm. exactly light. No. No. Um, so definitely, yeah. I, I would wonder if they're backing, painting themselves into a corner here uh, and putting themselves into the same category, something like The Expanse. Um, Potentially. Which, yeah. I know it has a very, very passionate and dedicated fan base, but anybody who's not really into hard sci-fi, it could be a bit much for them because I tried a few times and I'm like, it's very slow. Yeah, it's it's that's the kind of show that it almost needs a warning at the front of every episode, do not try to binge this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need a break after each episode, really. Yeah, it, it's in the same... You know, like I tried to binge a Breaking Bad. That was a mistake. <laughs> so some of the people behind Foundation are people who've worked on things like Game of Thrones, West Wing, The Americans. Um, that's a pretty decent sort of advertisement. That's a pedigree, um, yeah. Um, these are people who've directed episodes of uh, The Boys, uh, Riverdale. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's going to be, I'm, I'm curious to see how that comes out. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that brings us to the end of the show. Um, look at that. It was shorter this week, but, you know, I think we had some interesting conversations. So uh, yes, yeah, hopefully as um, I my move concludes, we will return to regularly scheduled programming where I have nothing left to do during lockdown, but watch random guts. <laughs> And hopefully we'll um, be out of lockdown soon so we can actually start watching movies at the cinema again. Well, we hold them a breath. Mm-hmm. I do hope, I do hope that they maintain the social distancing in cinemas because I do appreciate a half Oh, it's nice, isn't it? It's, it's so nice. nice. <laughs> isn't it weird thing, though, is that at the start of the year they were doing it in cinemas, but they weren't mm-hmm. doing it at the football when I went to the football. Yeah, because anyway. viruses don't go to the football. Well, viruses have a little more class. Um. (laughs) On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share on any of the platforms, Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitch. Um, You can check us out every week, twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain. um, We repost on um, Facebook at um, George Terran or The Fried Brain Productions, um, youtube.com slash armchairproducers, uh, nope, youtube.com slash Productions. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Please jump on in and say hello. 
Until next time, thank you very much. Good night.